They were the heroes from the future. Teenagers protecting the universe from those that would sow the seeds of chaos. Each had unique powers and abilities. And though they often had their differences, they came together to save the day as the Legion of Superheroes. Now you can be a part of their adventures and learn the history of the future in the Legion Clubhouse. This week in the Legion Clubhouse, we not only get a new clubhouse, but we also get to meet some recurring villains. Bad guys. Adventure Comics number 367, No Escape from the Circle of Death. Published April 1968. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Kurt Swan from Shooter Layout. A secret cabal strikes at the Legion from the darkest corners of the galaxy. And Karate Kid is directly in their sights. Adventure Comics 367 opens with a very different kind of intro. I mean, the uh, the roll call is here. Where we know the yeah. Brainiac 5, Cosmic Boy, Duo Damsel, Karate Kid, Lightning Lad, Phantom Girl, Sun Boy, and Superboy are mm-hmm. all going to make an appearance. But it's also first-person narration by Brainiac. Because you see a villain, oh, the Legion is defeated, and Brainiac's like, that guy's wrong! I'm trying to figure out how this, you know, 12th-level intelligence thing works when he can say something like that with a straight face. There, You know, there's a couple problems. I, I like this, as you say, the, not, yeah, first-person narration of mm-hmm. Brainiac 5 talking to... Breaking the, the fourth wall to explain to yeah, us. Yeah, to the audience of what's going on. But then they don't carry through with that through the rest of the episode or through the rest of the issue. And that's kind of what's really needed here to make that opening panel work. I don't know. I mean, it's 1968, so the splash panels are kind of a beastie unto themselves. I like the first-person narration. I just find it really weird. and It's not a technique that you see a lot. But, I mean, you see a lot of splash pages that are not representational, even at this point, that oh, aren't sure. representational of the story or that are, you know, the same as the cover, which is likewise not representational of the sure. story. Now, just to show you how far advanced society will be a thousand years from now or you know, now less than a thousand years from now. Right. The new Legion Clubhouse is currently under construction, which means this issue, literally, they say, takes place a week after the previous issue. So in mm-hmm. one week, they get construction permits. They've done, you know, site uh, specs, you know, to make sure that it's all done. They've leveled the area. They've got their blueprints drawn up and everything. It mm-hmm. almost makes me wonder if uh, maybe this Escape of the Fatal Five mm-hmm. wasn't pre-planned Some sort so of... that the Legion could get their new clubhouse. Mm-hmm. What they call the boondoggle. I'm going to go with no, because one, that's kind of scary and terrible. But also, it's the 30th century, you know, and in the 30th century, they have all of this automation. They have fifth dimensional people who come in and have giant brains. They have that Bugs Bunny song when you need something built really fast. Da, 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 da. They have well, all of that working together. We do get kind of a, a quick tour of what's going to be in the Legion Clubhouse, including a very impressive war room. Yeah, why... Do the Legion of Superheroes need that armory? I mean, it's huge. Well, in case the, you know, in in case the Fatal Five ever attack again, they need weapons. They need to arm themselves. They need to prepare. Oh, wait a minute. What am I thinking? We are right in the middle of the Korean War. 
we are Vietnam right War in the sixty eight. Yeah. We are right in the middle of of uh, the big buildup of of arms. We are continually escalating our military to make them bigger and better and more. And this just seems to be a reflection of that. Wait, are we talking about 50 years ago, a thousand years in the future? Or are we talking about right now? Because, well, that's the weird thing about some of the things that we're going to see in the next couple of episodes of the Legion Clubhouse is that there are some really weird striking parallels to things that are going on right now in our own current continuity, if we want to call it that. Right. Uh, that's just a little bit too weird. And maybe a little You're bit on too Earth on the nose. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So uh, we get a look at the uh, Legion Clubhouse, including this new ejector seat thing. I love the ejector seats. The new, the new table, the conference table around which the Legionnaires sit, has ejector seats that will launch you right out of an opening in the ceiling. And they actually say, I think it may actually be next issue, but they're like, okay, make sure you've got your flight ring. Yeah. And then they're fired out in this, this look of pure Kurt Swan joy. And Karate Kid is like, holy crap, I did not see that coming. Yeah, it's a good thing I was wearing my flight ring. <laughs> right? Can't you give a guy some warning? I'm like, aren't you the martial artist who knows everything and should be prepared for everything? Well, he knows everything Val. when it comes to hand-to-hand combat, as we'll find out again in future episodes. Now, I do want you to pay attention to the ejector seat opening of the new Legion Clubhouse, because while this page layout follows kind of a very traditional kind of uh, uh, format for comics, we're going to see this ejector seat take on a whole different layout multiple times over the next couple of issues and there's a weird layout that i i'm not sure works i mean it's neat when you first see it but it becomes super annoying after that (laughs) so we get a we get a kind of a quick tour of the clubhouse that's part one yeah we see the memorial room which freaked me out because the memorial room at this point has only pharaoh lad right a big giant statue of pharaoh lad well and I, i have a theory okay this giant pharaoh lad, what it happens is they have the memorial room has a finite amount of space and a finite amount of matter within. So the more dead legionnaires there are, the smaller the statues get. Mm. So when you have one dead legionnaire, he's 50 feet tall, but we get down the roadways and there's 20 dead legionnaires. They're all life size because they just have that much legionnaire mineral to make the legionnaire statues in the memorial room. Mm-hmm. It's called memorialum. Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's what they call it. All right. Well, we also find out some very cool uh, products that people are using to build uh, this uh, this new Legion Clubhouse, right? I mean, we've got a Nertron, mm-hmm. um, Manganium. Now, isn't Joe Manganium the one who plays Deathstroke in the DCEU? I, I don't know, but I know that w- the way it's hyphenated in this issue, mm-hmm. it doesn't look like Manganium. It, it, it looks, looks like Mangina. It looks, I, I have read that and I thought at first they had misspelled manganese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be bad to build something out of manganese, right? Right. You throw some water on it and so, suddenly it spontaneously combusts. Manganium. Oh, no, that's, that's man, magnesium, sorry. Right, magnesium. That's even better. Yeah. Magnesium actually looks like manganium and it just burns until it burns and it's done. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Yeah. There's also a couple of other things that I like about as as they're touring the facility, uh, even though the new building is going to look super modern. And we'll talk more about the architecture here in just a minute. I noticed that Jim Shooter still relies on those old 1930s Flash Gordon type rocket ships. <laughs> yeah. And frap guns, the 
arsenal is full of Flash Gordon crap guns mm-hmm. and ray blasters. But yeah, I do like the new cruisers that we see, the big red cruisers that we meet in this issue. Yeah, they they look like, does it say where they're from? Because that's the other thing that's kind of interesting about this new Legion headquarters is the United Planets have gotten mm-hmm. together and they said, we are going to pool all our resources, our money, and we're going to build this Legion headquarters, which means that this is a government-funded military organization. Yep. And of teenagers. As such, it's interesting because we actually start the issue with three bystanders just kind of leaning there and go, you mean the Legion now works for the government? No. Exposition over here. And, you know, they make a point of saying that even billionaire R.J. Brand couldn't pay for the amount of stuff that's going in the new Legion clubhouse. It's a big deal, man. And on top of that, they have all sorts of worlds sending gifts. Yes, gifts and housewarming gifts. And somebody sent them perfect replicas of all of the trophies that were destroyed in the battle with the Fatal Five last issue. That's funny. That is. Somewhere on some planet, there's a guy whose job is okay. They had a planetary chance machine Mm -hmm. and they had that. So there's a couple of interesting things that are going on with the architecture of this. We've moved away from a 1950s uh, styling that we saw in the in the good old days, the very first appearances of the Legion of Superheroes. And now in the 1960s, we are looking at and especially at this time, we are looking at postmodern architecture that's going into this. And there's definitely a reflection of that in the New Legion uh, clubhouse. Uh, we do, you know, there's some things just for kind of comparison. Uh, the geodesic dome is introduced in 1967 by Buckminster Fuller. Uh, the National Gallery in Berlin is completed in 1968. And uh, we are, and I'm going to quote this from a New York Times article. And the charge to eliminate 1960s buildings, as in many cases being led by baby boomers who came of age in the 60s. If you consider yourself progressive, you're always going to want the opposite of what you knew, said Joseph Rosa, the curator of architecture and design at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Nothing that many boomers grew up in modernist houses, meaning that they didn't grow up in these modernist houses. That's what they that's what they're liking. And I think with Shooter coming on board. We're also seeing that, right? I mean, Karate Kid, for example, is like a front and center character right now. This is Jim Shooter's creation. Yeah, yeah, sure. Cosmic Boy is over there and Lightning Lass and Lightning Ladder over there doing their thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's the Superboy occasionally. But really, it's all about Karate Man. (laughs) And in fact, uh, Karate Kid says that, hey, I'm going to take a couple of weeks vacation. I've earned it. I'm going to go to Japan and hang out with some people. Yeah, we find out in this issue that Val is from Japan, question mark? Well, yes, it, because he was a he was an orphan, as, as we right. get his uh, backstory, that we find out that he was a little foundling, essentially, uh, but yep. not a foundling in the way that changelings are foundlings. But he does, in fact, get really, really defensive when someone asks him about his parents, mm-hmm. which is something that will come up in a later issue. But you guys, right now, mm. if you're putting asterisks on things, put an asterisk next to the question of Val's parents. But he's never actually drawn as in any way Asian until right. at least the 1980s. Right. And there's a reason for that. And, and again, we'll look at that uh, when it finally comes up. But let's just say it's not very good. It's not. No. Uh, also, it should be noted, we've talked about this rise of... Uh, the martial arts and this mm-hmm. interest in martial arts and how 
in these original issues, we're starting to see a lot of karate, jiu-jitsu, advertising appear. Uh, but now the fact that we're shifting a lot of this story or a big portion of this story to Japan and we're being introduced to uh, characters who are very much like um, the the old master from the, the the Kung Fu series. Yeah. It is important to note that Japan is emerging from World War II and mm-hmm. is becoming a major cultural influence in the world. Between 1953 and 1965, the gross domestic product of Japan expanded by more than 9% per year in manufacturing and mining, mining 13% in construction, 11% uh, for, uh, I'm sorry, 11% for construction, and infrastructure by about 12%. And it's interesting, and he calls it out in dialogue when Val makes it to Japan. There's some futuristic stuff going on, but basically... Japan of 2968 has a lot in common with Japan of 1968. Yeah. And he, he actually mentions that Japan is one of the few places that maintains local cultural flavor, mm-hmm. which is interesting because we haven't seen a whole lot of earth other than metropolis. We've seen, you know, Smallville. We've seen the fact that metropolis is basically the East Coast, mega yeah, city it's, it's a mega city. And what's interesting too is when you say the term uh, mega city, the first use of the term mega city was in 1904, and it was really talking about any city that was larger than I want to say uh, 80,000 as as far as the population in 1904. And of course, wow. they were talking about like New York, Los Angeles, uh, right. uh, London, you know those those kinds of sites and places. So it's interesting because I was like, oh, yeah, Mega City. We've talked about this before. We've talked about the fact that this future city where the Legion is housed is definitely something that has encompassed all of the East Coast. And we've talked about Mega City 1 over there in 20 AD. And so I went looking for the first use of it, and it looks like it appeared in 1904. That's cool, which also means I live in a Mega City. Uh, yes, <laughs> by the old 1904 times, uh, that of course has been changed, and I didn't look to see what the current modern uh, standard or definition was for megacity size population. But certainly, Los well, Angeles is still considered a megacity just because of its oh, vast sure. sprawl and uh, as much as it, it encompasses. Uh, but before a Karate Kid can get into a too much of a reunion with his old sensei or his old, I guess, adopted father. Yeah, he calls the, it master, but I mean, he's, the sensei is actually his his given name in the comic. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. They're trying. They're trying. I mean, it's like those first issues of Black Lightning. You have to give them credit for going there, even if when they got there, it was kind of embarrassing. Yeah. 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 Well, before he can uh, reacquaint himself with Sensei, GI Joe the Cobra attacks. <laughs> and, and, I, and, I make, and I make fun of that only because when we look at the first appearance of the Dark Circle, especially on that uh, splash page, they're mm-hmm. all wearing kind of like these hoods, these like cloths draped over their heads. They're not really ski masks. Right. And they're not really like military commando things. They no. literally look like, and when we first see the, uh, the villains in the shadows... Uh, especially on the page when they're viewing everything that the Legion is doing, and they're all sitting around their their dark circle table. They're literally wearing giant towels over their heads. Yeah. And the first thing that comes to mind when you see this is, oh, that's Cobra Commander. <laughs> no. And then you start to... And, but then when you start and realize that several years later, when Cobra Commander is introduced first in Marvel Comics, mm-hmm. it's Jim Shooter who brings up the idea of Cobra Commander. 
That is true. When uh, G.I. Joe debuted in 1982, and at the time, they didn't have any particular enemies. And so Marvel and Shooter, and I believe the writer, whose yeah, name Larry, escapes me. Uh, Larry Hama Larry was Hama, also in- involved you. in this, yeah. Uh, they came up with um, Cobra, based on Marvel's Hydra, which actually at this point in time, 1968, would be a big deal in the Nick Fury strip. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know if the Dark Circle actually takes some cues from Hydra or not, but it's interesting to see that. Well, it's interesting because, number one, we never really see any of these guys die. Right. You know, we, conversely, we also never see any parachutes opening. But in at the very end of the story, <laughs> when they are being whisked away from Earth, they're all teleported back to their state of origin. They're just not transported out into space where they die a horrible suffocation death. Right. But I just, every time I started to look at these guys, I'm like, oh, that guy's Cobra Commander. And all of these guys are these masked guys with, with helmets on. They are, they, yeah, they are troopers. They are people that are disposable. These are, can be great recurring villains. And in fact, we will see the dark circle pop up again and again. And fascinatingly, uh, if that's actually a word and I'm not sure that it is down the line, the dark circle is actually revealed to be, and you know, I'm going to tell you now a mystical coven. What? And, and all those guys around the circle are clones. Oh, clones, huh? Yeah, so the Dark Circle is a little bit more Cobra than you even thought, because those faceless guys are literally faceless. They're clones. Yeah, so there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Here you go. The origin of the G.I. Joe comics over at Marvel, right here in the pages of the Legion Clubhouse. Sort of. Sort of. Uh, so, But the other thing that's really amazing is because these guys are being constantly spied upon, they know how to counteract every person's powers. So they yeah. have a heavy plate that will create the uh, same kind of gravitational forces that uh, um, Krypton once had. They mm-hmm. can depower uh, everybody's stuff. I mean, if, if Lightning Lad shows up and starts shooting at them, they quickly whip out their insulating shields. Duel yep. Damsel is taken down a, a couple of pegs. And pretty soon, the only Legionnaire left is one Brainiac 5. Brainiac 5, the, the smartest of all the Legionnaires, the man in the purple coveralls, who hasn't been painted blue for a good 10 issues. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. There's actually a misprint in this issue. Is there? Oh, yes. darn it. At the very beginning, when, it, when and this is kind of the neat thing, there's a lot of foreshadowing in this, in this uh, issue, in that they are all showing up to uh, the clubhouse, and Superboy shows up with these all these packages, and the first page that Superboy shows up flying in with this giant crate of packages is where the color misprint is. Oh, no. But they're opening them, they're up, and they're like, oh, here are these giant diamonds that are power our facility for a million years, and here are these crazy weapons, and here's this strange thing. I don't know what this is. It's written in some weird language. Right. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I hope they're not trying to make this Japanese because, you know, Karate Kid's about to head to Japan. Thankfully, no. Uh, it's It's a little weirder than that. But there is this little glimpse of something in this box and Brainiac is like, look, if I'm going to defeat these guys, because we've seen Karate Kid in Japan, like hacking these machines in half and taking down 500, uh, yeah. you know, of the Cobra soldiers in an instant. And proving without a shadow of a doubt that he, if he is not Jim Shooter's favorite, he's definitely one of them. Because Superboy gets nerfed in this issue. Karate Kid is everywhere. He, yes. 
fights on armies of people, leaps down to the ground and takes out guys in tanks. He shatters the ground with his terrible blows and knocks people over. I mean, it is a tour de force for Karate Kid. We also reveal in this issue, and this is something that may be a little subtle, and it may be just one of those, eh, maybe you're reading too much into this. Karate Kid is left-handed. Mm. Now, Stephen, you may be asking yourself, Stephen, how would you know that Karate Kid is left-handed? Well, we have one panel that reveals the Apple Watch that Karate Kid decides that he wants to wear. And obviously, this is not just an Apple Watch, uh, the two-way wrist communicator that Dick Tracy uh, used in the 1930s uh, was there. But today, we do have an Apple Watch that will do all the functionalities that we see in this panel, including some FaceTime actions and some uh, communication abilities. But the interesting thing about this panel is Karate Kid is wearing it on his right arm. Man. That's and typically, if you are right-handed, you wear your watch on the left. And if you're left-handed, and I, and I don't, this is not always the case, but sure. a lot of people that I know who wear their uh, watch on the right hand are left-handed. So I'm going to say I, Karate Kid is left-handed here. That's an interesting case to make. So, Brainiac, five, all by Brainiac himself. Five. Well, not all by himself. There is, and this is great, because there is a literal deus ex machina in this issue. Now, for those people that don't know what a deus, deus ex machina is, Matthew, what does that translate from the Latin? Literally means God in the machine. Or, or God from the machine, yes, because yeah. in the old plays, they would literally have a machine that would lower the gods down or have them appear on the stage in some way. And the gods yep. would come in and save the day when our heroes were at their lowest point, which is what the Legionnaires are doing right now. Until yep. Brainiac says, man, I wish Karate Kid were here. And then Karate Kid is like, boom. Out of nowhere, Karate Kid is there to save the day. And I really thought that, man, those... Those uh, tube cars, which are also introduced in this issue. Hey, in the future, we will travel in tubes. Well, and what's interesting about it is in order to make trips faster, you're essentially drilling through the center of the earth or, or part of the earth right. to make a more direct line from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. Now, I know Elon Musk is currently trying to do some kind of underground tunnel stuff. Not quite the same, but a little bit kind of the same idea. I prefer to call him by his full name, Elongated Muskrat. <laughs> the interesting thing, though, is if you've watched that uh, horrible Total Recall remake movie that came out in 2012, that's how they get from one end of the Earth to the other, is they actually travel through the center yep. of the Earth because it's faster. So I thought, get wow, the this guy... Is working on the tube technology. Yeah, I thought, wow, this guy got onto his tube really quick and is just busting in and just once again showing all the fans why Jim Shooter loves Karate Kid. But no, that's not the case. There's actually a machine in a box mm -hmm. that we kind of saw a little glimpse of earlier in the issue yep. that Brainiac 5 uh, uh, discovers. And this is a another big first. So not only do we get the, the Dark Circle appearing here, the new Legion Clubhouse uh, appearing here, we mm -hmm. also get the introduction of the Miracle Machine. And oh my God. If you follow Legion history... The Miracle Machine is one of those big things that isn't a huge thing because it's it's like sewn into the fabric of the Legion for so many years after this. I was actually shocked when I read this issue to realize this is literally its first appearance. This is where it comes from because it's just always been there for me. The Miracle Machine is exactly what you think it is. Whatever you wish for happens. If you wish for everyone on the planet to be dead, everyone on the planet would be dead. Yes. If you wish that Karate Kid was here to help you, Karate Kid would be there to help you. If you suddenly wished that all of the Dark Circle would be expelled off the Earth and back to their point of origin, that would happen. 
and they would do it safely. And this is a very dangerous machine. So dangerous, in fact, that the creator, I'm sorry, the controller, I'm sorry, the observer, uh, whatever his name is, the, the controller. controller, suddenly appears, and he's very much the watcher. He suddenly <laughs> appears and says, wait, and, and this is the panel that I, that I want to reference. This circle, two circles within a square, this yes. is a layout that we will see five times before the next two issues are over. Yeah, I think that's a shooter thing because we're still at the point where Jim is doing layouts for Swan or whoever is doing the regular art. I kind of hate it, but well, it's I it's brilliant don't... in it's brilliant in the fact that you're trying to show a vertical shot, mm -hmm. but you can't free up the real estate to do vertical and have wasted space. Right. So you do it in this way where you've got a circle and you've got this big square that, you know, these two circles on every corner. And then you've got the circle, you've got your main exposition going on in the middle, and then you've got your circle that kind of closes it out. I like it, but right. it's interesting, but man, it is a like a signature shooter layout, in my opinion, for the next couple of issues. And I'm, I haven't read too far in advance. I'm, I'm about four issues ahead of where we're at right now, four or five. And I just see this popping up again and again and again. So I don't know if this is something that sticks around for more than 12 issues, but it's certainly becoming a signature layout uh, for the next couple of episodes of the Legion Clubhouse. What it reminds me of more than anything is the Dutch angle as used in the mm -hmm. Batman television series mm -hmm. where there's no reason for it, but they keep doing it and you switch back and forth. And it's like from different cameras, you'll have an angle to the left and an angle to the right and an angle to the left. And after a while you stop noticing it. But when it first shows up, you're like, Ooh, this is weird. And this is interesting, but what does it mean? And it turns out it doesn't mean anything. They just don't, you know, don't want to lock off their cameras parallel to the ground, I guess. But yeah, it just, I don't know. Yeah. I really love this first appearance with the giant controller. And remember, we have met the controllers before. Yeah. Do you, do you remember, remember what, what I don't controllers? remember what issue it is. Apparently we met them when, um, Superboy was being controlled and the ghost of Pharaoh lad was messing mm -hmm. around with the, with the ring, but I don't remember the controller specifically. Do I? Maybe I Adventure do. 357, the ghost of Pharaoh lad is that is the issue where we get to the point and the actual upshot of the whole thing is that there's a controller mm. basically he was trying to take over the legion and take over the universe and he was trying to manipulate superboy by falsifying the ghost so right. he was actually the one he was old man wiggins in the old abandoned amusement park the old basically. abandoned old abandoned amusement park did you say old abandoned twice so the weird thing is there wasn't just one controller. There's a whole dimension of controllers. There's a race of controllers. And, and one of them pops out of the sky and says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, we made a mistake in gifting you the miracle machine. It's going to cost too much trouble because the next thing you know, someone's going to wish that they could see through clothing or something. And you teenagers with your hormones, it's going to be a big <laughs> mess. So here's the thing. <laughs> we are not we are not taker backers. We're not back takers. We are not someone who gives a gift and then asks for the gift back. Mm -hmm. But I'm just letting you know that the miracle machine is like a monkey's paw. And I know you, monkey's Superboy, have heard of the monkey's paw. The rest of you, it's been a thousand years since you've heard that tale. Uh, so you may not be aware of it, but just uh, realize that when you make a wish, it has some very super negative consequences. So we're not taking it back. Right. But this is also super dangerous. The most powerful machine in the entire universe. Uh, expect Superman to use this uh, some many, 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 many years into the future of this uh, story being published in the <laughs> hands of uh, uh, Grant Morrison. 
Uh, but uh, it, it's going to cause you guys a lot of trouble. So um, I'm a controller. Uh, there are many of us in our dimension. And um, uh, you guys have a, a, a good day. Bye See now. you, bye. And, that's, yeah, and that's, that's literally me reading word for word everything that happened on that page. That is not you reading word for word. That is you paraphrasing. But nonetheless, choose wisely. He ends, you chose wisely. Because they lock the miracle machine in a cube of impenetrable inertron until mankind is ready to use it wisely. Which is to say, until Legion of Superheroes number 250 when it's eaten <laughs> by uh, Matter Eater Lab. It's interesting because there's so much Chekhov's gun going on in this issue. Yes. It is all over the place. Not only is it that, hey, we've got all these crazy gifts coming our way and um, we don't have time to open all of them. What is this weird machine? I don't know. It's got some weird writing on it. Okay, that becomes a thing later on in the in the issue. We've got a Karate Kid who goes to Japan to visit his sensei. Or I'm sorry, to visit sensei, sensei. And we actually see him, I think, chopping a brick of this in, uh, inertron in half. Inertron manganate, yep. So that is some foreshadowing. And then we also have this thing about, oh, my gosh, uh, we need to get this Legion of Clubhouse thing built up quick because right. we're kind of defenseless. And that's what the Dark Circle is going to use on this. And one of the things that Brainiac 5 uses the Miracle Machine for is to complete the construction of the new clubhouse. And, you know, I'm looking at this clubhouse right now and I can't help but see an influence of the United Nations. And I'm, what year did the United Nations open? Uh, it would have been uh, as far as their New York building. Yeah. Because it has it has that big, tall tower, and then it pulls down, and the building kind of spreads out, and then there in the front, there's, I don't think there's, a, you know, a giant thing of flags, but there's that big open area. Yeah. The General Assembly building was built in the 1950s. The Secretarial building was completed in 1952. Yeah. So that's what I'm really kind of looking at was that that big tall building, then with the smaller building down in front and the uh -huh. big open oh, plaza. I can, I can I can see that. I I'm just looking at this. I saw this yeah. more of the modernist uh, modernist building, which we were talking yeah. about earlier in the in the uh, episode. Also, you know, you got this big uh, sculpture out front of the United Planets with the Earth in the middle, and of course everything revolving around. United right. Planets, because you know that's I how. I think when each one of those little circles represents one of the other oh, United I'm, I'm Planets. Sure, I'm sure it does, but I just find it fascinating that the Earth is the center of the universe here. Oh, sure. But uh, yeah, this, it's a very cool new building. Uh, we're going to see a lot more of it in the coming issues. Yes, but it's a nice looking building. It is. If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Adventure Comics number 368, The Mutiny of the Superheroines, published May 1968. Written by Jim Shooter with art by Kurt Swan from Shooter Layouts. The women of the Legion get incredible boosts and powers, but with a terrible price. Occasionally, Matthew, we get to some issues that I have, what's the word here, mm. a lot of problems with. Yeah, the problem with reviewing material that is 50 years old is even if it's designed to be ahead of its time, it's still material that's 50 years old. And so 
we're never going to get away from 1968, no matter how much we want to, in, let's say, gender relation uh, types. Well, and what's, perhaps. you know, I, I was having a very interesting conversation with people online talking about, oh, you know, um, Blade Runner and Akira were set in 2019. And, you know, do we look to the past and, and blame and not really blame, but uh, one person was kind of saying, do we blame people like William Gibson and the other creators of the cyberpunk movement for creating this dystopian future, which we now find ourselves in? Or is this just something that has been sitting in the back of a lot of people's minds and just just because it's sitting there percolating for decades continues to bubble to the surface and cause problems? Right. And unfortunately, when I look at issue 368 of Adventure Comics, the mutiny of the, the superheroines. Yeah. I want to say that this is an issue that came out and was percolating in the back of these kids minds for decades. And this is why we have so much of the gator issues uh, of today, because this I mean, yes, we do have the little rascals with the He-Man Woman Haters Club. And yes, that's cute right. and funny because, oh, boys and girls just don't get along. And of course, we have Popeye, who's always like women's ain't nothing but trouble. And we have, uh, um, uh, you know, these no girls allowed kind of things. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those issues that just says oh, no, we can never allow women to have power because they will use that to, you know, take down men and make us their slaves. And we cannot allow that to happen. And look what happens when you give a woman any ounce of of power. It's going to yeah. go to their heads and it's going to be super corrupting. And I and I don't know if that is what Shooter really intended, because we have seen prior to and even including in this issue in the letters columns, mm -hmm. a very good even spread of boys and girls who are reading these issues and are writing into DC comics and saying how much they enjoy these adventures. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like DC is like, Oh man, this is great. Cause we have both boy heroes and girl heroes in these comics. And so we're really hitting that Venn diagram of boy and girl readers. And then we have, this is what the third or fourth issue now mm -hmm. where it's like, Oh man, girls, Ugh, gross. Am I right guys? We should, we should keep them out of our clubhouse or we should put them in our place. And it just feels like, these are the this is an, a secret origin of some men's rights activist uh, well, uh, origin story right here. It's hard to write a story that seems to be about condemning sexism, which is what 368 is, although in a very roundabout way. And it's doing it in a turnabout sort of situation where what if the girls were in charge? But it's hard to condemn sexism without kind of leaning into that sexism. And I feel like doing what they've done here with that reverse and having the, the superheroines mutiny, which we'll get to in a moment, I feel like they've kind of leaned into it even harder, which means this is sexism, I think, beyond what we'd see in a standard 1967 comic, because they're trying to tell a story that, okay, this is the future. It's like that episode of Star Trek where we have to talk about race relations. So let's make the the aliens literally half black and half white and hope that the metaphor isn't too blunt. And it's a good episode, but the metaphor was too blunt. And I think the same is true here. It's a very blunt metaphor. Well, and I think maybe it's the bluntness that sticks around to where people who don't get the subtlety of what's going on let that sink into their mind because we do have – a new race of people who have who are coming to the United Planets. The ambassadorship crashes. They go to the rescue site, and this woman emerges who's super strong, 
And she's like, you're in charge? A male? You mean Earth still has a primitive patriarchal society ruled by men? <laughs> On my world, which your robot space probes contacted only a month ago, a superior matriarchal system exists. Their women, their women are the strongest dominant sex. Yeah, that's that's rough. And especially, and again, we're talking maybe a year or two in terms of actual releases. But you and I have just read one not too long ago where one of the characters is literally called a proto-feminazi. Yeah, I mean, this is similar to a couple of stories we've seen before. But the one that pops up for me is Adventure 326. Uh, which actually was a little bit further back than I had thought. Revolt of the Girl Legionnaires. Mm -hmm. Yes. Which, you know, has a very similar thing. And of course, it has that terrifying Jim Mooney laughing triplicate girl that has embedded itself <laughs> into all of our brains forever. Yeah. So we, we do discover what Thora is doing. She is building little replicas of all of the Girl Legionnaires, and she's using her, her wrist communicator, she's also left-handed, by the way, um, to... I don't know, irradiate these statues, essentially she created voodoo dolls. Yeah. And by using those voodoo dolls, she can actually imbue more power into the female legionnaires to where they become more powerful than even before. So rather than being a pair of girls, when she splits triplicate girl becomes a literal army shrinking violet can now grow as well as shrink light. Lass has complete control over gravity, time, space, and dimension because well, she's light Lass. And by the way, the cover of adventure comics, three sixty eight is the best that Light Lass has ever or possibly will ever look. You think? With I that, do. With that throwing angry face? Yes, Light Lass has never looked that good. And all of the later stories where she looks good are actually when she's someone else. <laughs> she has like six different aliases because she's Gossamer for a while. She goes back and forth from Lightning Lass. She's Spark for a while. Right. So this specifically is the best Light Lass will ever look. So Thora is starting to implant ideas into their heads like, oh, man, those boys are nothing but goofs. They're always screw ups. You girls are always going in and having to save their bacon. Uh, wouldn't it be better if you guys were just like in charge? And right. so these ideas start floating around. And it's very interesting to see removing the voodoo side of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Re removing the fact that I'm mind controlling these people. Right. You know, you can see how easy it is to go in and subvert someone's thoughts and ideas. You can go in and you can start to use propaganda to say, have you ever noticed that, man, Brainiac 5 is just not as smart as he really thinks he is and he's always causing more trouble? Wouldn't, wouldn't it be great if we could enslave Brainiac 5 and then there's like, um, uh, I forget the which character is like, oh yeah, Shadow Lass is like, yeah, I'm going to make him do my laundry. <laughs> and there's another problem in the issue. And rather than her super brain or the logic or the power of Krypton, it's actually the fact that Brainiac 5, her crush, is being threatened that causes Supergirl to question for the first time whether or not she's on board with this whole taking over the world and being evil kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't. Uh, that and, of course, early in the issue, uh, we see the Legionnaires moving into their new headquarters, and there's a sewing circle where all the female Legionnaires get together and are sewing new curtains for the quarters in the headquarters. Yeah. And they're like, hey, let's sew some curtains for Brainiac 5. What color does he like? Teehee. And I feel like, and it's just me, in 1968, that is, that is played. So, okay, at the very beginning, I said I don't like this issue because 
it is essentially creating thoughts and ideas in people's heads, just like Thora is creating thoughts and ideas in people's heads to say, hey, wouldn't it be good if we kept women down? And, or, you know, watch out for these feminazis. And, right. hey, man, you got to stand up for yourself because these women are coming after you. These kind of messages are very subtle. If we're trying to show, if Jim Shooter is truly trying to show his genius and, and create a smash you over the head, you know, message, don't you want to show the girls in this kind of put down situation where it's like, oh, yeah, they are dressmakers. This is what their normal routine is, guys. So that when they start to that. become overpowered and they start to take over, it makes them even worse. I can see that. And I mean, there are nine female legionnaires and you, you know, you have that moment where there are a lot of them and you realize yeah. you don't see all nine female legionnaires together, but it just doesn't, it doesn't feel realistic to me. I mean, no, we're talking it, about people like Projectra, mm -hmm. who has always been like, hello, I am the queen of Orando and you will listen to me, blah, blah, blah. And of course, Dream Girl, who has powers as necessary as the plot demands, and of course, Supergirl. I get it, and I feel like that's probably what they did. They were probably trying to show what it was the girls were "quote unquote" revolting against. But I just, I just think, that, I that just think they just do it in a very edge. bad way. And I know some people are like, yes. "Oh, come on, Stephen, quit! Uh, what is it calling uh, signaling or whatever that that, that uh, uh, people no. accuse you of doing?" I'm, I'm not saying, even going to tell you what it is. This is this is this is problematic to me. Uh, I yeah. you know I think for the longest time. And this goes back all the way to Otto Bender with the introduction of the Legion of Superheroes, where you had these heroes respecting each other to the point where you had Saturn Girl as the president for the longest time, where, hey, we're just, you know, boys and girls. We are a team. We have to work together. We don't really see each other as as better than the other until we have to go into that really weird, uncomfortable scarlet uh, fever thing that the girls had. Right. And then we have the revolt, and it just seems like since that, it's it's. Should, I just really feel like as I'm seeing this, I'm seeing the fall of women readers in comics. I, I'm really starting to see a thing like, no, girls, we don't want you in this comics book club. There's definitely a change, and I feel like a lot of the things that we were reading into those early issues were unintentional. Because if we look at the point where the Legion is evenly split, where it's three girls and three boys, or actually at one point, three girls and two boys, that didn't happen because they wanted to have more girl heroes. It happened because they had a Supergirl story to write, and they wanted her to have three Supergirl friends. Yeah. And so you get to a point in the story where I feel like we may have ascribed intentions that weren't there, and now editorial is becoming aware of these intentions, becoming aware of these things that have slipped into the story and they're trying to quote unquote fix them. So we get this moment like the sewing circle and I just, mm, yeah. it is not, it is not, it's not easy to read this issue, even with some lovely Kurt Swan art. No, there's some really great art and there's some great action. And I really like the fact that, you know, we really are seeing a lot of the, the, the female characters step up and, and really show what could, what could happen if they, if they had these these powers, it's great to see a million duo damsels uh, right. running around, you know, just running over a wall, just inundating all of the bad guys. And and I love projectors showing up and scaring off this giant Norway octopus thing. It's, yeah, it's it's really cool. Or even um, uh, shrinking violet, she's able to grow both sizes. When did uh, Hank Growing Pym? Violet. When did when did giant man become a thing? 
1964? Okay, so Giant Man has been around for a while, so why shouldn't Shrinking Violet be able to both grow and shrink? Well, we'll find out in the Legion reboot circa 1996, and it's a very bad idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I don't know. I just... This issue is really problematic. I think if you're going into it, don't go into it looking for a great story or even a great resolution because Thora ends up killing herself. She's like, oh, my feminist planet will not accept me if I come back to feed it. I have bitten this cyanide capsule hidden in my tooth. Right. I die now. Ah. Wasn't it nice of her to wrap the plot up real clean like that? Okay, so here's, here's the one good thing okay. that comes out of this issue. And you, I think you probably have some other thoughts and ideas oh, I, on this issue. I have a couple things. But uh, the very last panel, as they're looking at this dead body on the floor, both Brainiac 5 and Supergirl have their arms around each other. It's really subtle. Her arm is behind his in the back. It's not like they're over each other's shoulders. It's this very kind of loving, subtle thing where Supergirl has her arm wrapped around and is touching Brainiac's back, and Brainiac has his arm wrapping around behind Supergirl's back. And yep. I like it. I, I think that's nice. It's nice. The, the art really is the best part of it. And one thing that this issue does have in terms of you know historical real-world thing this is the last issue inked by George Klein. Okay, now who is George Klein? George Klein, for a very long time, was Kurt Swan's inker. He was the guy that we went to. Klein was involved in some of those earliest Legion stories, especially in the covers. And in 1968, Klein actually left DC and went over to Marvel Comics. Uh, it does not have a happy ending, though, because he later passed away in 1969. Mm. But yeah, Klein has been kind of part of the Legion in a very subtle role. We haven't really even talked about inkers in these stories really to speak of, because first of all, in the 1950s and sixties, it's hard to find out who did right. the inking. Right, right, right. You know, we don't even know who did the pencils on some of these books, but uh, George Klein is basically the one who makes Kurt Swan from 1961 to 1968 look like Kurt Swan from 1961 to 68. And after this, we will see a change in tone from Swan with different anchors as we go on. I believe Murphy Anderson at some point comes around and everything just goes completely nuts at that point, but we'll blow up that bridge when we come to it. One more thing that I want you to look at. Remember I said the ejector seat uh, layout and we mm -hmm. were just looking in the last issue that had the square giant square panel with the two circles. Yep. In this same issue, as they're ejecting out of the top of the Legion clubhouse, the mm -hmm. circles are now much, much bigger, but we've got this kind of vertical strip of them launching out of the of the uh, clubhouse. And yep. it's this exact same layout again, where we've got bubble, you know, square panel bubble, and then a rectangle down at the bottom that could either be one or three panels. Yep. And it's just, it just, once you see it, you cannot not see it. You can't unsee it. Yeah. And, you know, again, when you look at just the breakdown of the art in this issue, it doesn't make up for the story being... I don't want to say anachronistic. I don't want to say bad. So I'm going to portmanteau them into bad astronistic, which probably isn't even a word. Certainly isn't even a word. But I really do enjoy a lot of the weird, wild layouts. There's one panel that always sticks out to me that if, if it were a camera shot, it would look weird and out of place because the female legionnaires and Thora are in the background. And in the foreground is this giant invisible kid hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, why, why is that there? 
And it feels like we're in the middle of one of those, you know, pan shots where they're going in a big circle around everybody. And we just caught one freeze frame moment of it. It looks really weird, but I also really kind of love it. Well, Matthew, we have come to the end of another Legion Clubhouse, and this is fascinating. This is the one where I did a, a lot of research trying to figure out what's going on in the times and the and the uh, the architecture and all that kind of fun stuff. This is this was a pretty, I think it's evenly split. I think we had one really good story and one story that's uh, interesting but problematic. Right. But but what did we learn this week? We learned that Kendro Boltax, who was the president, who was impersonated by Universo is still the president at the time of these stories, which means that Shooter is paying attention to continuity. I think uh, we also learned this week that even though the Legion is great as a team, they're also very powerful individually. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we learned that Princess Projector will punch you right in the face. That wraps it up for this installment of the Legion Clubhouse. Thank you so much for checking us out and downloading. And thank you, everyone, for spreading the word and, and writing some great reviews for us up on the uh, Apple Podcast website. And, of course, using uh, your Twitter voice to share your love of the Legion Clubhouse. Let's get some more people over here and involved in talking. And, of course, if you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at podcast at Majorspoilers.com. So until next time, I'm Hey, It's That Boy. And I'm Bad Dad Lad. The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Steven Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Steven at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa. This podcast is copyright 2019 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC.